I think that's it for announcements. So here's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I, I love Christmas season. I love everything to do with Christmas. And uh, one of the things that I really love is that around our house, we uh, decorate every surface of our house and kind of transform everything as much as we can around Christmas time. And one of the decorations that I really love is something that uh, my mom gave us a few years ago. It's a nativity set. It's a Fisher-Price nativity set. And uh, we set it up, and it's, it's great because, I mean, there's so many, like, fragile decorations. And this is one of the decorations. Like, yeah, kids you can play with, and that's a lot of fun. One of the interesting things is over the years, like we have the main characters of the nativity, but every once in a while, my kids will add a new character to the nativity. And so uh, here's some examples. Here's uh, Mater and Lightning McQueen uh, who showed up at the nativity. So that was uh, awful nice of them. Uh, another time uh, there was this uh, turtle and robot guy and they showed up and we try to, one of the messages we try to communicate with this is that the manger is somewhat, somewhat, everyone's open to come to the manger. Anyone can show up, you know, it's just, you know, Jesus is open for absolutely everybody. But a couple weeks ago, uh, I went downstairs and looked at our nativity, and this guy showed up uh, at the nativity. And so we're trying to figure out, like, how does that play into the story? And so we decided, well, that's, uh, that's Herod, uh, who showed up uh, to the nativity story. Uh, and Herod is who I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this morning. And Herod is a, kind of an unusual character to talk about in the midst of the Christmas story. Uh, maybe you haven't heard a Christmas sermon about Herod before, but I think Herod understood and got something about what was happening at Christmas 2,000 years ago that a lot of us miss. And it's something that because we miss it, we are kind of missing the whole point of what Christmas is all about, and Herod got it. Uh, Herod, if you do not know uh, much about Herod, uh, Herod was known as Herod the Great, and in many ways, he actually was great. If you want to study some stuff in history, uh, he was a great military mind. He was a great political mind. Uh, I've read a few things over the last couple of weeks that said Herod very well might have been the richest person to have ever lived. Uh, actually, one of the books I said was that uh, Herod was so rich that Bill Gates would have mowed his yard. Uh, that's the kind of like crazy wealth this guy had. And he used a lot of that really smarts, and he used a lot of that wealth to build some amazing things. He was amazing kind of architect and kind of uh, issued that a lot of things be built. And I think a good example of that uh, this is a, a mountain. Uh, it's about seven miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, about three miles from Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And uh, you can't see it very well now, but on top of there, Herod had a palace built. This was going to be called Herodium. This was going to be his palace where he was going to live outside of Jerusalem. Uh, but because of who Herod was, Herod wanted his palace to be built on a mountain. But the problem was, was that there wasn't a mountain outside of Jerusalem. There was kind of a mound. And so Herod actually had the rest of this mountain built. So there was like a mound there. And then he, through endless amounts of money and endless amounts of power and slave labor and lots of terrible things, had the rest of this mountain built because that's the kind of guy and that's the kind of authority and power that Herod had. And here's especially what I want to talk about today is that Herod was a man of incredible ambition. More than anything, Herod wanted to be king. Once Herod was king, 
He wanted to stay king, and Herod would do whatever it took to stay king. Uh, there's a story uh, about Herod that you can read if you go through your history books, where some sons of his, uh, Herod was worried that they might be plotting to take over uh, his kingship, so he had his own sons banished. Uh, there was another story where Herod was, he was incredibly paranoid, incredibly worried, was worried that one of his wives and again some of his sons were plotting to overtake his throne, and so he had his wife and his kids murdered. Uh, he was incredibly paranoid. He was incredibly ruthless because Herod was someone who wanted to be king. He would do whatever it took to be king, and he would, took what, he would do whatever it took to be able to stay king. And so into that, that guy of Herod came the Christmas story. Uh, and here's how Matthew records it. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, about three miles from where Herod had this giant palace built on top of this fake mountain in Judea during the time of King Herod. So King Herod's in charge while Jesus was being born. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, uh, here's what they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So they're asking Herod, this guy who wants to be king, who now is king, has killed his own sons, banished him. He wants no one else to ever take over the rule of kingship that he has got to. And all of a sudden, these people show up and say, hey, we heard that there's a new king on the scenes, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And I think for a lot of us, when we hear the Christmas story, there's a part of us that should be disturbed. Because what Herod understood and what so many times we miss when we hear the story of Jesus being born is this truth that Herod absolutely got, is that Jesus came to be king. And if Jesus came to be king, then that threatens his and it threatens our role as king. If Jesus is going to be king, then that means that we can't be king. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I had a, a friend. He I was in my uh, youth ministry and then uh, grew up out of the youth ministry. And it was just a friend. His name was Sean. Uh, some of you guys actually uh, know Sean. Uh, he gave me permission to share this story. He lives up in Colorado now, but uh, used to go to our church, used to play uh, bass in our band. And uh, Sean uh, was once in a time in his life, and he was having this uh, discussion uh, with some friends, some kind of counselors in his life. And he was talking about how he was living his life and about, like, here's what I believe. And what Sean was trying to do was he was trying to explain to them how he practiced Christianity. And so he was going through and saying, okay, here's what I do in this circumstance, and here's what I believe about this. Uh, and as he was explaining it, and I maybe you know somebody like this, maybe you've done this yourself, like where someone is explaining, here's what I believe about, I'm a Christian, but then you watch how they live and you're like, ah, like, okay, you say like you follow Jesus, but the other last week I saw you do this and that doesn't seem like something that a Christian would do. I, I heard you say this and that doesn't seem like something that a Christian would do. And there just seemed like there was this disconnect between what he said he believed about Christianity and the way he actually lived. And he's like explaining all this to this group. And finally, a bold person in the group said, hey, 
Sean, stop. We love you. Here's what I think. I don't think you're practicing Christianity. I think what you're practicing is Shawnianity. You've kind of created your own little thing here. And like you've taken like some things like wherever you know, following Jesus is convenient for you, wherever Jesus helps you, you've kind of taken that and added that. But then wherever Jesus doesn't help you, you like just kind of ignore those parts. You know, the parts that you don't like that Jesus says, you're like, nah, I'm not going to listen to those. Instead, when it comes to those, I'm really, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I am the king of my life. And I think that's true for a lot of us. As a lot of us enjoy some of the things that Jesus says, but in a lot of ways, we want to stay in charge of our own life. Uh, one of my favorite uh, writers and speakers uh, named Amy Stanley, the way he says it is that all of us are on a quest. All of us have something like we wake up in the morning and this is like what we are going after. Like this is like our main goal. And we believe that if we were ever to achieve that, if we were ever to get that, that is what would truly make us happy. Uh, and this is something that we see all the time. Uh, this is something especially you see at Christmas if you watch Christmas movies. Uh, so uh, this, uh, anybody know uh, who, who this is? What's his name? Ralph, I heard it. This is Ralph from The Christmas Story. What is Ralph's quest? What is he trying to get more than anything? A Red Ryder BB gun. If he can get a Red Ryder BB gun, that will be everything. Uh, how about this one? Uh, who's this guy? George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, what does George Bailey want? Might be a little bit tougher. He wants to travel. He wants to get out. He is stuck in his hometown of Bedford Falls, and he's doing whatever it can take. If I could just finally shake the dust off this town and get off, then I will really, really be happy. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, who's this guy? Clark Griswold. Uh, and what does Clark Griswold want more than anything? A classic family Christmas. I just want a good old-fashioned family Christmas. If I can make that happen somehow, then everything in life would be wonderful. Uh, and last but not least, who's this? And what does the Grinch want to do? To stop it. He wants to end. And by the way, this is uh, the new animated Grinch that came out two, three years ago, something like that. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen it yet, I just, I, I love it. And what he believes is that if I can just make all this Christmas stuff end, and I think actually that's a good one to bring up because, again, that's some of our stories. Some of us know people like that where we just, Christmas is painful, and we just, we just want to get through it, and we just can't wait until January, until, until January 1st, until, until December 26th. Once we, get, if we just get this thing behind us, then we'll be okay. And I don't know, maybe one of those is your quest, but all of us are on a quest. Uh, some of us, uh, we are on a happiness quest. So we're trying to do whatever we can just to make us happy and you know, however much drink or you know, however much you know, money we have to spend. Whatever, you know, we, well, we make lots of decisions in our life just because this might not be wise, this might not be smart, this might not be healthy, but it's going to make me happy. Uh, some of us, uh, we're on a safety quest. So we're just we're trying to do whatever we can to keep ourselves safe, keep our family safe. You know, that's what you know, structures so much uh, of our life. Uh, some of us are on a power quest. We just, we just want to be in charge. We want to have the big office. You know, we want to walk in and our family just like, wow, we, you know, we so amazed, impressed by you. 
We all have a quest that we are trying to live our life by. And if we are, then as we run into the Christmas story, we find a problem. We find something that should be difficult for us about this whole Jesus thing. Because Jesus came to be a king. And if Jesus came to be a king, then that means that we can't be king. If Jesus came, sorry, that's my story too, is I practice my own little Johnny entity. I have my own little life that I'm trying to live out. And I have my own like little issues that I'm trying to put in order. And I'll take some stuff from Jesus, but there's some stuff I don't want to listen to what Jesus has to say because I want to be king over my own life. And as we run into the Christmas story, that creates a problem because Jesus did not come to be a cute little baby in a manger that we put up some decorations and we're like, oh, that's cute, you know, and then we go on with the rest of our life. Uh, Jesus didn't come just to give us some good advice. Like, hey, here's some, here's some tips and tricks for life, and if you want to take them, you can, but if you don't want to, that's okay too. Jesus did not come just to be a spiritual parachute of, like, we go through our whole life, but every once in a while, if, like, you know, someone gets cancer or, you know, COVID or there's, there's something big going on, you know, that we can't control, then it's like, okay, now I guess I'll pray. Jesus came for more than that. Jesus didn't come uh, just to be a conscious cleanser of, I feel bad about some stuff in my life, so I guess I'll go to church, so maybe I'll feel a little bit better. Jesus didn't come just to be a good luck charm. Jesus came to be king. And that means that if Jesus is king, then that threatens our role. And it threatens my role as king. If Jesus is going to be king, then I can't be king as well. Uh, And that story is represented all throughout the story of the Bible. That's something that I think the folks who recorded what Jesus did, recorded what Jesus said, wanted to make absolutely clear to us is that Jesus came to be king. Uh, This is the beginning of uh, the gospel according to Mark. Here's how Mark is recording what happened with Jesus. He starts it off. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the phrase good news, we talked about it two weeks ago, if you were uh, here, if you listened in. That's something that we hear singing Christmas songs. You're like, oh yeah, good news. That's a good thing. And uh, some of you might know another term for it uh, called the gospel. And you know, oh yeah, the gospel, that's kind of what church is about. And we don't really think much about it. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to bring good news, and when Mark recorded that that's what Jesus came to bring good news, that would have been one heck of a statement. That would have been something that like, you know, er, record scratch, like that would have been something that everyone who heard those original words that Mark wrote down, that here's what Jesus was all about, would have said, whoa, because they knew what good news was. They knew what it meant for someone to bring in good news. And Herod would have known what it was for someone to bring in good news. Uh, The word good news uh, was a Greek word, is euangelion. And here's what euangelion meant. Here's what they would have heard is good news was used at the time of the Roman Empire to herald in the good news of the arrival of a kingdom. It was good news when a new kingdom arrived. Uh, More particularly, the reign of a king 
that brought war to an end so that all people of the world who surrendered, and you have to make sure you surrender, and pledge your allegiance to this new king would be granted salvation from destruction. Uh, to make it a little bit clearer, here's what good news meant. Good news meant that there was a new king coming in. And so it meant that there was a coup, perhaps. It meant that there was a regime change. It meant that there was a revolution. In one way or another, it meant that it was out with the old king and in with the new. Good news meant that something was drastically changing and there was a new king coming in. Uh, a couple, for instances, of how euangelion was used. Uh, so uh, back in uh, 490 BC, uh, the big dog on the block at that point was the Persian Empire, and the new kind of upstart country was the country of Greece. And so Greece went to go and try to fight the Persians, and really against all odds, the Greeks somehow defeated the big bad Persians. And so they sent heralds off to proclaim the good news that the Greeks have taken over the Persians. The Persians are no longer in charge. You don't have to listen to their king anymore. You don't have to listen to their rules anymore. Now the Greeks are in charge. Uh, and one of those heralds ran either to or from Marathon. Uh, I always forget. Uh, and that's where they get modern day Marathon because the guy ran over 20 miles to get there to proclaim this good news that the Greeks beat the Persians. Uh, Alexander the Great, uh, often used the term euangelion, good news. He would come in with his army and he would conquer. And at the tip of a sword, he would say, good news, we're in charge now. Guess what? We have now come. I am now your king. Good news. Uh, or another one, uh, Augustus Caesar, also big figure in the Christmas story. Uh, this is actually a, a tablet that they found, archaeologists found, and it's inscribed as the gospel, the good news of Augustus Caesar. This is what Augustus Caesar came to bring. This is the good news, the euangelion of Augustus Caesar. Uh, and here's what it says in case you can't read Greek. Uh, it says, Where, whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our whole life to the climax of perfection in giving us the emperor Augustus. Basically, all of history has been bringing us to this point, and he's finally here, Augustus. Yay! Everyone's so excited. It goes on, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order and have becoming God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. Caesar has come to make everything right. He has come to be your king if, this is good news, if you surrender to him which means you have to do whatever you say, he says. If you pledge your allegiance to him, which means I'm not pledging my allegiance to anything else, and if you do, Caesar has offered the good news that he will be your savior. And again, this is just a phrase that would have been very known throughout the Roman Empire. And so all of a sudden, a baby is born. And this baby has said to have brought good news. And Herod, heard about this baby that brought good news. And Herod got exactly what that meant, and we miss it. But Herod got it exactly, and it disturbed him. Because Herod knew that there was a coup at hand. There was a possible revolution at hand, and he was not going to get to be king anymore 
if this new Jesus was going to be king. Uh, So here's the question that I want you to wrestle with today. Here's the question I would love for you to wrestle with this whole Christmas season. Is what would it look like in your life, in your day-to-day life, in your work life, in your economic life, uh, in the way that you treat people, uh, in the conversations that you have in your head that maybe you don't tell anybody else about, in the way that you spend your money, if you were to make Jesus king, if you were to put your total, if you were to make Jesus the, the reigning authority of your life and say, you are now the absolute king of my life, what would that look like? And I think it's a big question for a lot of us. Because again, for a lot of us, we have our own eanity, whatever you want to make that. Uh, we have a John eanity. Uh, we have a John Shigatano eanity. We have a Pasquale eanity. We have our own ways in which we're trying to live our lives and we're kind of making it up into whatever is going to make us best. For some of us, though, we're actually not the king or queen of our own lives, and it's not Jesus. For some of us, it's something else. Some of us, we practice republican eanity. Uh, some of us, we practice Democrat-ianity, and we kind of, whatever our political party says, that's what we do. Uh, not to get into politics too much, but a little bit. Uh, something uh, I thought was interesting, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was reading this study, and they were talking about different political parties, and they were talking about the issue of a CRT, critical race theory, big in the news. And they're asking people, do you support critical race theory? And as you would expect, most Republicans said that they did not like critical race theory. Most Democrats said, we do support critical race theory. We like that. And then, this is what I thought was interesting. They asked the follow-up question of what is critical race theory? And most people had no idea. They couldn't give an answer, which meant that they were making big decisions on what they believed or didn't believe in their life, not based off of what they actually researched and studied, but based off of what political party they were a part of. And there's a lot of folks, maybe some of you, maybe me, who we've made big decisions about what we believe, how we act, by making these king or queen of our life. For some of us, it's not a political party. For some of us, it's, it's shame. Uh, we just walk through every day of our life with just this these things that just these lies really that we tell ourselves about who we are, about what other people see us. And we make so many decisions in our life because of the shame that just like rolls us. For some of us, it's, it's busyness. It's just our schedule. We feel like that, like the busier we are, the more successful we will be. And like, we feel like our identity is based off of how busy other people see us. And we make so many decisions in our life good and bad, based off of how busy we are, what we want people to perceive us as. For some of us, it's just more. We just, we want, we want more authority at work. We want more money. We want more house. We want more Facebook followers. We want more people to, and we just make so many decisions on our life, just trying to get more. And I get all those. And I have many of those in my own life. But the question I want us to ask as we go through this Christmas season, is what would it be like if you made Christ your king? If you actually practice Christianity and the thing that was deciding how you live your life was 
Jesus and what he was asking you to do. This is, I believe, the invitation of Christmas, is that you are invited to make Jesus your king. You are invited to make your decisions in your life based off of having a coup, having a little rebellion in your own world and saying, I'm not going to let shame, I'm not going to be the ruler of my life. I am now going to make Jesus king of my life. Uh, Here's how Jesus says it. And we've looked at this verse a lot. This is from uh, Matthew 9, uh, this uh, fall. Uh, Here's what uh, Matthew 9 says. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And the idea of religion there is any idea of thought that is governing your life. So in other words, are you tired, burned out, worn out from being in charge of your own life? How's that been going for you? Uh, are, are you tired of shame running your life? Are you tired of just, you know, I'm just going to go along with whatever political party? Are you tired of busyness of life? Are you tired of keeping up with more? If you're tired and worn out from religion, then here's what Jesus says. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I treat people. How I deal with time. How I take breaks. How I rest. Watch how I live life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Again, that's the invitation of Christmas, is that you are invited to make Jesus your king, to live freely and lightly. Uh, And just to be clear, here's how that happens. Uh, Jesus uh, talked constantly about this idea. Again, it's the idea of Jesus becoming king is so central to the idea of Jesus. It's the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. Uh, Here's again uh, the beginning of uh, Mark. Uh, Go to the next one, Kim. Uh, This is what Jesus taught. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Again, Jesus is going to these places in the Roman Empire saying, I have good news. Everybody's been like, whoa, we know what that means. Of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And here's how you do it. You repent and you believe in the good news. And here's what that means, very simply. The idea of repent means this. It means I'm not going to believe in Johnnyanity anymore uh, or whatever you happen to go with. I'm going to go with Christ. And there will be times over the next few hours, over the next few days, where you will feel these decision points, whether it has to do with food or money or treating people or who you're going to invite or how much you're going to spend. You will have so many decision points over the next few days and weeks where you will have to choose. Am I going to go and make these things I've always made my king my king? Or what would it look like if in this circumstance, in this conversation, if I made Jesus my king? And it's instead of going that way, going this way. And here's what believe looks like. Uh, It's believing the beginning of the good news about Jesus, that he actually is the Messiah, which means king, and that he is the son of God. Uh, And again, that's the invitation that all of us have been given this Christmas season. Uh, And lastly, 
as we look at this invitation that Jesus gave. I think it's stark, and what would have been stark to the people 2,000 years ago, because everyone would have known about good news. Everyone would have known about Ewan Everyone would have known about new kings taking over. But what was so different about Jesus and the good news he brought was that he actually gave an invitation. Because when the Greeks came in after the Persians were taken over and they offered that we have good news, it was at sword point. When Alexander the Great said, hey, guess what? You can make me your king. It was, I'm your king or else. When Augustus Caesar said, I am now God and I am king and I want you to surrender to me, you really didn't have the ability to say, you know what? Nah, I don't really want you to be my king. I don't really, all these rules of the Roman Empire, you know what I mean? You guys can do that, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing, you know, hashtag not my Caesar. Like, I just, that's not really my thing. If you did, you were done. Your life was over, and there was crosses all over the Roman Empire to show exactly what happens if you don't accept the kingship of Caesar. But with Jesus, if you decide, and I bet you have, because I have, that, you know what, I'm not really going to follow Jesus right now. I'm going to rebel against him. I'm going to do my own thing. What Jesus offers is not punishment, is not execution. He offers forgiveness and grace. And then he offers another invitation. And he just keeps coming to us. Every time we choose our own way, every time we choose to let shame win again, every time we choose to let more and busyness win again, Jesus says, I forgive you. I love you. Now, are you tired of that yet? Are you tired of doing that same rigmarole over and over and over again? Would you be willing now to accept my invitation for an actual better way to live and to let me be king of your life? Uh, so we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, today, we do this every Sunday as a way to make it clear to us who this king is that's asking you if he can be in charge of your life. It is a God that loves you and forgives you. Uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, Stephen and Tim are just going to play for a little bit. You'll have a few minutes to yourself. And during this time, you can take communion if you would like. Uh, if you want to say a prayer, you can pray. And maybe the prayer that some of us need to make today is, all right, I think I get this whole Christmas thing. It's not just a fun neat holiday. This is talking about the arrival of a king, which based off of some of the ways I've been living might be a little bit disturbing because I would like to be king of my own life. And maybe you today, as you're taking communion, you want to accept Jesus' invitation and say, I'm going to try. I don't know if I'm going to be perfect at it, but I'm going to try starting today to make Jesus be king of my life. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for actual, real good news. Not good news that comes with force. Not good news that comes at the tip of a sword or a spear. But that comes from a manger. 
that comes from the epitome of humility, that comes from absolute love. But God, it's, uh, it's easy to talk about all this stuff. It's hard to live out because I, I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> and there's some things that you say that are just really, really difficult. And I just want to do my own thing and I want to be king of my own life. But you have invited us to this better way of living. And I pray today that all of us make a decision to follow and to proclaim the one true king of the world.